referred to as this idea of preaching the gospel to ourselves, to remind ourselves and to, by faith, trust in the promises that are ours. And it's through that lens that we understand how to look at ourselves. We understand how to look at others. We understand how to see our circumstances. We understand how to see life. And, and this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how the gospel affects us in our ups and in our downs. In the high moments of life, when we walk in that sense of victory and freedom and obedience on those mountaintop experiences, so to speak, in the Christian life, and we're also going to see how it even affects us in our understanding of our standing in the low points. You had any low points recently? Struggles? Despair? Where you find yourself bewildered at the things that you're dealing with in your life? Have you ever thought, how in the world am I at this point in my Christian journey dealing with these things? Have you ever had those kind of thoughts? Well, your preacher has. And I've dealt with my mind. I, I tell you, one of the things that we have to recognize is that because we deal with the flesh, we deal with constant battles in our minds, and we have to need daily and moment to moment of submitting our thoughts to the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 is going to be where we start, and we're going to stay in Romans. But I want to look at a passage because this morning... The goal of where we're headed is to see that our standing is secure because of Christ. That we in the Christian life, regardless of our day-to-day, -day, regardless of our performance, our hope is not in our performance. It's in the work of Jesus for us. And we desperately need to reflect and meditate on that truth throughout our Christian journey. If you look at verse 1 of Romans 5, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What a tremendous two verses of Scripture. But I want us to see today that just like so much of what we read in the Bible, that the context of Romans 1 through Romans 4 really undergirds what we read in Romans 5, 1 and 2. And the first word of Romans 5, 1 is, therefore, since. And we have to go back a little bit. We're going to look at three observations of the good news of the gospel, and we're going to see a familiar pattern that we've looked at through this summer. We're going to begin this morning. The first observation of the good news of the gospel is we're going to consider our prior condition, our prior condition. And in order to see this, if you look at the verses that precede chapter 5 at the end of chapter 4, about how Abraham was counted righteous not by works but by faith. We go back further to understand what is Paul alluding to? What is he speaking of? And we go back to chapter 1. And we go back, and, and, and under this first point, our prior condition, we see truth that was suppressed in chapter 1, verse 18. Look at chapter 1, 
Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. When we look at verse 18, we see this concept of the wrath of God. And it's foreign to many people. They look at that and they think, wait a minute. How can this good God be wrathful? And I, and I found a very helpful comment on this. And one commentator says, the, the wrath of God is the opposition of God's holy nature to everything that is evil. The opposition of God's holy nature to everything that is evil. And I want you to think about something for a moment. The Bible says God is holy. If God is holy, it is absolutely a necessity that God be a God of wrath because God is opposed to all that comes against his holiness. It's an opposition to his nature. And we see the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. But then it says something that really gets us into this dilemma against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I remember the first time I ever got a credit card, I would get this statement, and I was amazed at what the credit card remembered. And, I, and, and a lot of the transactions that I had were, you know, $2.19, $0.89. I was in college, and, and I was right next to a gas station. And I would go in there at 11 o'clock at night. And, uh, and I would buy, they had fried chicken. It was just a really wonderful diet for me that year. Um, candy bars, fried chicken, French fries. And I would go buy things. And I would buy, you know, Cokes. And I would buy uh, whatever. And, and I was always amazed, like, what is, what is this? What is this? What? Wait a minute. I remember that. I bought a Snickers bar, a king-size Snickers bar at 12.46 a.m. You know, I bought... This, I bought this, I bought this. And it's always frustrating to me when I look at those statements to see the precision by which they account. Now, we, we chuckle about that because we can all relate, but I want you to think of something. Often we minimize not only the holiness of God, but we minimize the sovereignty of God and the omniscience of God. And friend, the, the dilemma that we're in, and, and apart from we'll never understand the gospel, is, th is that God is aware not only of the sins that, of the things that we act in, but the things that we should have done that we didn't act in. He understands not only every deed, but he understands every thought. And, and the problem is, is that when we look at phrases like ungodliness and unrighteousness, we see that there's not only a sinful bent towards God, but there's a sinful disposition towards our fellow man. And God is aware, and the wrath of God is revealed. It's consistently, it's in the present. It's, it's continuously revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And then it goes on, and it says that this ungodliness and unrighteousness is so severe. It says, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's the idea that in our wickedness and in our rebellion against God, I was talking to the campers this week, and 
And I was talking about every one of us can relate to a little bitty child when they're in front of their parent. Usually it's in most the biggest public places where everyone can observe what a terrible parent you are. Isn't that a fun time? When a little toddler looks at you and you say, hey, don't do that. And they look at you in front of everybody and they say, no. And at that moment, everybody's looking at you as like in disgust of what a terrible parent you are. But, but that is the very attitude through which our rebellion acts towards God. We act in such a way that we would seek to hinder his truth, that we would seek to hinder, we would seek to press down, suppress his truth. There's a truth that's suppressed. When we think about our prior condition, and here the only reason it's prior is that I'm speaking to those in the body of Christ who by grace through faith have trusted Jesus, and we recognize this is our prior condition. This morning, you may be here and you've never trusted Christ. And the good news that I want to announce to you can only be understood as you recognize that you now are under the wrath of God. You stand under his judgment. And your judgment is waiting. It's, it, John says it's not just a judgment in the future. It's a present judgment because of a lack of belief in your creator. I've got good news for you today because in Jesus Christ, you can then say my prior condition by grace through faith. But there's a truth that's suppressed. But there's also a problem revealed. And the, the core of the problem it's, or the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. And that's what you see in Romans 1, 21, 22, and 23. You see that what's happening here, to understand the, the problem of mankind, is that the ultimate problem, it's a worship problem. Do you realize that what we love is reflective of what we worship? It's interesting. I remember the first time that I really became face-to-face with this concept. When you look at people's behaviors, it's reflective of what they love. What you love this morning is indicative of what you worship. What you, what you do, your behavior, your loves, your, your affections, they reflect that which you worship. And Paul in, in Romans not only speaks about a truth that's suppressed, He speaks about this problem of worship, that rather than worship God, we worship the creation. There's a problem of the heart. It reflects in what we worship. But continuing here, just to get the overview, we see also the potential of the self-righteousness exposed. It would be like this. It's sort of the idea that it's easy for me to listen to sermons being preached in a church. And at times... Think about the people in the crowd who need to hear the application of the sermon, but neglect the fact that I'm the one standing in the need of prayer, right? I'm the one needing the application. Have you ever done that, or is it just me this morning? I've done that before many times, where I think about the people around me. I'm thinking, I'm glad they're here to hear this. I really need to see, oh, so-and-so is here today. This will really help them. But I'm the one. And here's what's happening. Paul is writing and speaking about the wrath of God revealed against all ungodliness. And it's almost as if he suspects, wait a minute, there may be one of my Jewish brothers or sisters who hears this and thinks something wrong. And he says in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Now think about it. The temptation might have been, 
yeah, those Gentiles, amen, brother, amen, Paul. Look at how they live. Look at how they act. And it's as if he turns it right back on them. And he says, don't misunderstand me. He says, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And then he gives the statement, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. And then he shows them the ultimate dilemma. The ultimate dilemma in chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. And look what he says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The law holds us accountable. I remember, uh, I, think I, I think I was in Portland, maybe in Albuquerque, but I received a letter either from the Portland Police Department or the Albuquerque Police Department, and it notified me of a violation that I had committed, and it had a video, it had a picture of it, and I was going through a red light, either running a red light, or I was going too fast at an intersection, and immediately, it was like, any attempt to self-justify, I was busted. I was accountable. There I was. I think I saw my picture in the car. It was sort of weird. <laughs> there I am committing an infraction against the law. I was accountable. And Paul's point is this. He says, now, now, now rather than somehow assuming, friend, that you can be a good enough person, you can live your life, and you can smile, and you can be a charitable giver, and you can be a good neighbor, and you can do all these things. He wants them to understand the law is not a platform that you can build yourself up on and boast. The law actually is the ultimate reality of your accountability before a holy God. Remember what James says? James says something, I think, that shocks all of us in our fleshly sense of wisdom. He says that whoever breaks and stumbles in just one point of the law is guilty of breaking all of the law. That's a problem. We're held accountable. And so what is he doing? He's showing them the ultimate dilemma is that because of this truth that's suppressed, because of this problem revealed, because of this self-righteousness exposed, that ultimately the dilemma is you and I cannot work our way to God. We can't do it. There's no way to merit righteousness. There's no way to merit approval from God. And that is his point. You see, he says in chapter 4, verse 2, speaking of justification by faith that goes all the way back to Father Abraham. And he says in verse 2 of Romans 4, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Not before God. In Romans eleven six, Paul says, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So if our work brings about death and cannot bring us to life, what are we in desperate need for? The first observation in Romans is we see our prior condition, our condition before God apart from Christ. 
as Christians, we could say our prior condition. But the second observation in Romans 1 through 5, verse 1, is we see Christ work for us. Christ work for us. And the question this morning I want to ask everyone here, and I want you to think about it. Whose work are you depending on today? Are you depending on your own work? Or are you depending on the work of another? And the scripture says the only one we can depend on is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never forget it. I remember where she was sitting one Sunday years ago, probably like 12 years ago. I made a provocative statement. And I said this in the middle of a sermon. I said, we are saved by works. But I said, but they're not our own. They're the works of another, the Lord Jesus Christ. The lady about fell out of her chair. We had to get the <laughs> CPR. Um, R.C. Sproul said it this way. The grounds of your justification are the perfect works of Jesus Christ. We're saved by works, but they're not our own. And that's one thing I think sometimes is lost. We put such an emphasis that we're not saved by works that we lose sight of the perfect work of Jesus. And friend, today, that's the best news in the universe. I had a lady call me yesterday. It was so sad. She called me up. She was in Stevenson. She's 48 years old, homeless, didn't know where to go. We were talking about life and talking about everything. And, and as we were talking, it, it was like just seeking to share hope with this woman. And I kept telling her, I was like, man, I don't, I don't have any desire to condemn you. I'd ask her a question, and I'd say, ma'am, I'm, I'm not trying to push you down. I want to give you hope. I want to, I want to point you to, to, to good news. But, but here's what we have to realize. We are in desperate need because our works condemn us. Our prior condition, apart from Christ, as we look back as Christians, was not one where we were neutral before God. We were antagonists before God. We were alienated, enemies. And this is where, in Romans, we start to see this unbelievable transition. In verse 21, Paul says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. This is incredible. Because here, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. I was finding some, some great comments here that bless me. And it's the idea, but now. God has intervened. God has intervened. If you're with me today and you're thinking and you're listening and you're thinking, man, I, I'm in a bad situation because my life's not neutral to God. My immoral thoughts, my immoral actions, my life is an antagonist to God. I've committed acts of treason against God. I can't earn my way to God by living right. The gospel proclaims to you, God has intervened in your dilemma. And how has he intervened? The text says the righteousness of God has been manifested. And here, this, this statement in this commentary, and I love what he says here. He says, this means the right standing that comes from God has been revealed. Remember what Paul said? He goes, I don't want a righteousness on the basis of the law, but I want a right standing that comes from God on the basis of faith. This morning, I pray that if you have a mentality 
that you can be a good old boy, a good old girl, that you can make it. It's, it's, it's sort of like the God grades on a curve that, that you would understand that is an offense against the good news of Jesus Christ. But praise be to God. When by the grace of God, we recognize our sin, we see the kindness and the love and the mercy of Jesus who intervened for me, who intervened for you, who intervened while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And he intervened, revealing to us that the right standing that we might long for in our flesh through the works of the law is only received by grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. It has now been revealed to us. You see that there, in, in, and he speaks about it's in Jesus. It's, it's in Christ, that, that, that phrase, you know, we talked about union with Christ, through Christ, in Christ, for all who believe. For all who believe, it's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a gift that we can't receive by working towards, but it's a gift that we receive like a child. We receive it by grace through faith. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. This morning, have you trusted in Christ? Have you believed on him? Because this rightness that God gives through faith on the basis of the work of Christ can only be received by faith. In Ephesians, it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. And then Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then look at the good news, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then look at verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We're declared in right standing with God on the basis of faith through the work of Christ. That's our standing. Our standing is not in ourselves. One of the goals this morning in looking at this text is to see that when we seek to justify our standing before God based on our performance, it's not a grace perspective. It's a law perspective. If you look at your life and say, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I feel better about my situation and my standing before God. You've misunderstood the gospel. And it could be that you know the gospel, but you're finding yourself confused in that moment of reflecting on the truth of the gospel. Paul says that this propitiation that Christ took our sins upon himself. Kent Hughes here says, God did not pour out his full wrath on men for their sins in the past. But he goes on to say, however, in Jesus' death, he demonstrated his wrath against sin. And in this sense, Christ is our mercy seat by directing towards himself and the person of his son the full weight of the wrath we deserved. God's holy character is not compromised, and Christ is our propitiation for our sins. It's received by faith. 
And in Romans 4, listen to what he goes on to say as we get closer to chapter 5, verse 1. In verse 5, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. We move into the last few verses of Romans 4 and 19 through 25 as Paul speaks about Abraham. He gets into verse 23, but the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So we come into the final observation this morning. Not only do we see our prior condition, but not only do we see the work of Christ, but here we are, number three, a new standing, a new standing. Look at verse one of chapter five. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. I love this. This is where we land here. And and when he moves into Verse 1 of chapter 5, he's saying, We have been declared in right standing with God through Christ, by grace through faith. Now think of that. Not of ourselves, but through him. That that Christ credited to our account. It, It was his righteousness credited to our account. That we've received the imputed righteousness of Jesus to our account and that now we find ourselves in right standing with God the Father, not through what we've done by works of the law, but by faith. So he says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Now, now this is uh, interesting because the word have is in the present tense. Because we now have entered into this grace, because Christ is our righteousness, yesterday I was, uh, or Friday, I was talking to the, the kids and I had this nasty rag. It was really gross. And, uh, and, and, the, and the rag was uh, an illustration because, you know, remember when Martin Luther in the Reformation, he called it the great exchange. And the great exchange was what? Christ takes our sin and Christ gives us his righteousness. And I was holding up this dirty, nasty rag. I love little bitty kids. They're hilarious. And they were all like, oh, it's gross. Oh. And, and, and I said, but look, this is reflective of who we are apart from Jesus. But look at what happens by grace through faith. When we trust in Jesus and his work, Christ takes our sin. And, and I handed the rag to somebody, and they gave me the white rag, the beautiful, clean, brand-new white rag. It's like that's what's happening. We stand in the presence of God the Father, positionally. Now, God the Father doesn't see the dirtiness of our lives. He doesn't see the accountability of all the laws that we've broken. He sees the goodness and the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus that covers us. And now we stand before him. He says, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace, continual peace. Peace that is ongoing. The word peace is to be reconciled. We have divine favor before God. 
<laughs> you remember when uh, Jesus heard from the heavens, the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And because of the work of Christ, now God the Father can say the same things about us. Now God the Father can look upon us and say, this is my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because of something that we did to merit favor, may it never be. But because of the good perfection and work of Jesus that covers us, we now have peace. And then he keeps going. How do we have this peace? With God. Through our works? No. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the substitute, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. I'm, getting, I'm planning a trip. My, my sister, I've never gone to see her since she moved to New Jersey. So me and uh, Ellie, Luke, and Andrew are about to uh, depart to head towards New Jersey and trying to map out things we're going to do along the way. And there's one place I want to go that is free, but I just didn't understand that it's free, but you got to get free tickets before you get in, and the free tickets are limited. And I can't get in, and it's bugging me. I can't get in. I can't get access to where I want to go. I want you to think about something this morning. How do you gain access to being in the new covenant? How do you gain access to being a friend of God? How do you gain access to being in divine favor with God? And the Bible says we have obtained access by faith into this grace. And then he goes on in which we stand. I love this. It's, it, it, there, there's a tense in the Greek that always raises my eyebrows, and it's the perfect tense. It's an action in the past with continuous results. And what does that mean here? We have gained access by faith into this grace by in which we stand. Is, do you realize that when, when, by God's grace, you looked to Christ and believed on him, you now positionally went from being in Adam to being in Christ? You went from being judged and condemned as a sinner accountable to the law of God to being in Christ, and now you stood in his presence positionally as clean and as right standing with God. And from that moment forward, until this very present time, you are continuing to stand based off of the work of Christ for you at the cross. That's good news. That's good news. I, uh, I want you to think with me this morning. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? He says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. One commentator quoted John Stott, who says this. Paul gives a beautiful summary of the Christian life. In the word peace, we look back to the enmity which is now over. In the word grace, we look up to our reconciled Father. 
in whose favor we now continue to stand. In the word glory, we look on to our final destiny. Why? Because we once were sinners condemned by the law, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as our substitute, we have now gone from being in Adam to being in Christ, and now we are at peace with God, and now we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand before God, pleasing in his sight because of the work of Christ. I get calls sometimes in my family, Dad, what's my balance right now? And I have an app, and I look on the app, and I'll say sometimes to that individual without embarrassing them, I'll say, you have $46 in your account. Sometimes I'll say to that individual, you have $279. Can I borrow $100? (laughs) You know, sometimes I'm like, you have more money than your father. Uh, You have $87 in your account. Where's my standing, dad? You better be careful. You got $9 in your account. And then I give them the lesson about the time that I had about 12 overcharges on my account for like $35 a charge. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, about $400 charges for about $38 worth of stuff. Don't go under. Why? Because your standing in your bank account can change daily. It can change daily at any time. Friend, I wonder this morning how many of you are living with that mentality in the gospel. You know, maybe you had a fight with your wife this morning. Maybe you fell into the struggle that you thought you were coming out of. Maybe you said a hard word to somebody. Maybe you've offended somebody even within the church. Maybe you look at your life and all the things that are there and you wonder how you haven't progressed further. You look at the Christian disciplines and all the New Year resolutions you made in the last 10 years and you think, man, I haven't progressed the way I wanted to progress You look at that envious reaction you had in your heart. You look at that doubting sense that you had last night when it came to the things of God. Maybe you blew it with your kids. And in those moments, you're tempted to base your standing on your performance. Friend, preaching the gospel to yourself is understanding daily that you stand not in God's favor because of your performance you stand in God's favor because of the performance of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a dangerous game. Have you ever been there before? Am I the only one? Anybody in here recognize that uh, challenge? Maybe I'm the only one. I don't think I am. And you find yourself tempted to look at your standing based on legalism. You find yourself tempted to base your standing on performance. But on the other side, Maybe you're just finding a joyful time in your life right now and you're seeing the Lord work through you in a wonderful, glorious way. Maybe you're walking on maybe what a lot of Christians call that mountaintop experience. Maybe you're seeing yourself as a vessel for evangelism and you're encouraged by that. Maybe you're finding all of these things reflecting the opposite of what I just went through. Don't ever, even in those moments, Be tempted to put your hope in your performance. It's based on the work of Jesus 
Christ. I want to read you something that Vincent writes in the book that we've been encouraging you to read this summer. He says, The gospel encourages me to rest in my righteous standing with God, a standing with Christ, which Christ himself has accomplished and always maintains for me. I never have to do a moment's labor to gain or maintain my justified status before God, freed from the burden of such a task. Now notice this. I now can put my energies into enjoying God, pursuing holiness, and ministering God's amazing grace to others. The gospel also reminds me that my righteous standing with God always holds firm regardless of my performance because my standing is based solely on the work of Jesus and not mine. On my worst days of sin and failure, the gospel encourages me with God's unrelenting grace towards me. On my best days of victory and usefulness, the gospel keeps me relating to God solely on the basis of Jesus' righteousness and not mine. Amen? May we rest in the good news of the gospel. And as Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, and it changes his perspective on life, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it changes things. You live out of that mentality of performance. You find yourself start to realize that you're doing what you're doing to earn God's favor. When the Christian life is the exact reverse, you do what you do because of God's favor in Christ. Would you bow your head? Lord, I pray that we would live practically daily in light of what holds us in right standing with you. And Lord, I thank you that it actually is in this meditation and reflecting on these promises that the Apostle Paul gives that compels us and points us towards holiness. It's the very truth that works right alongside Romans 6. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. But, oh God, I pray that we would live based off of a position that is solely based on the work of Christ for my sin. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't fall into the trap of self-righteousness. We wouldn't fall into the trap of despair at misunderstanding the gospel through our performance. But Lord, I pray that this would bring about, through your grace, a gratitude, a love for you, an overwhelmed sense of, of, of just response, of, of submission to you in our lives. We thank you, God, for the work of Jesus. And Lord, I pray this morning, there's people in this room, Lord, I pray that I pray everyone here they're depending on your work and not their own. But Lord, I pray today that if there's someone in this room that has never depended solely upon you, I pray your spirit, Lord, would bring them to see the goodness and the obedient 
perfection of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that they would see that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray.